Well, you got your Bible. Genesis chapter 27. Before we get into this, let me, let me tell you um, that this is one of those places in the Bible, maybe one of the saddest chapters in the book of Genesis. Um, it's, it's really watching a family that started out well and they, they just they kind of fizzled out uh, in their faith. And dad um, had some moments of backsliding. Mom had compromised her faith. And, and I titled, I don't always title my sermons, but I titled this, The Results of a Family on a Slow Fade. Um, you think of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, that Abraham was known for his obedience. God said, Abraham, I need you to leave this country, leave your family, and he left. He didn't, uh, he didn't make a plan. He, didn't, he, just, he just got up the next morning and left. God said, I need you to, to offer your son Isaac, go to the Mount Moriah, and he set his alarm clock. He didn't put it off. He didn't try to negotiate with God. He just got up and, and he left, and he took Isaac to Mount Moriah. Abraham's life is marked by obedience. Sarah and Abraham, now there were moments of disobedience and seasons of, of, of sinfulness. I mean, they're, they're in the flesh, just like all of us, right? And so, uh, but, but, but they raised up Isaac to be a, a young man who would follow their God and, and fall in love with their God. In fact, Isaac, as a, as a teenager, late teen, maybe even 20, um, he... he he willfully went with his dad to Mount Moriah. This was a guy who not only trusted dad, but he trusted dad's God. And, and Isaac has a, had a relationship with God. He and Rebecca, when they started dating, um, that whole story of them meeting and dating and, and him honoring his mother, bringing her into Sarah's tent after Sarah had died and, and then marrying. And, and it, it just seems like this is a marriage that's going to work. It's a marriage that is built on the foundation of faith. And, um, and, and then they, they prayed. We talked about this last week in chapter 25, that for 20 years, 20 years, Rebecca had the same issue that Sarah had. She was barren. And the Bible said that unlike his father, Isaac prayed and he trusted the Lord. He just he, he relentlessly prayed and asked God to give them children. And then God did, and he blessed them with twins. It's Esau, the oldest, and Jacob. And, and then there's just not much information from once they were born um, to, to hear they're 40 years old. It's kind of silent about things that went on at home. And, um, but because of where we are in chapter 27, once we read this, what's evident is that they've compromised. They've um, grown apart, Isaac and, um, and Rebecca. They've been married 60 years in, in chapter 27, 20 years waiting to have children, and now 40 years um, after the boys were born. 60 years, and in chapter 27, they only they, they talk at the very end of the chapter. There's a lot of stuff that goes on um, without the other one knowing about it. Deception and division and planning and plotting. and just It's just crazy to, to read the story uh, about a, a couple that seemed it, they, they were on fire for the Lord. But when the boys were born, it seems like they just slowly faded away from him. And um, we, we talked last week, I introduced uh, Esau and Jacob to you. Um, they could not have been more different, these two boys. Um, Esau was tough, Jacob was tender. 
Esau liked to hunt. Um, he was an outdoorsman. Jacob was an inside kind of guy. Esau, in fact, we saw this. They started playing favorites early on. Esau was, um, was Isaac's favorite. Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. Um, if you saw Esau, he's wearing camo. Um, you saw Jacob, he's wearing an apron, right? Um, Esau would go and he would kill animals. He would stop hearts of animals and, and clean them and do, do all of those outdoor things. You see Jacob, he's like bedazzling clothes back at home with mom or something, right? Um, Jacob and Esau. You're going to find out in this story they, they, they look different too. Esau was hairy, like Chewbacca hairy, right? But Jacob was smooth-skinned, it says. And so physically they were different, um, their, their makeup and, and how they looked at life. So I want us to dive in here into chapter 27, and I want us to see uh, the sad picture of a couple that started well, but when they began to raise their boys, they compromised their commitment to Christ. There's a lot of reading, and so hang with me, and I'll kind of stop and, and give you a little bit more detail and explain. And then, then what I want us to do is look at Isaac for a moment, Rebecca for a moment, um, Jacob for a moment, and Esau. And uh, I believe they can, maybe we can find some identity in, uh, in, in each of these people. So look at verse 1, Genesis 27. It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son and said to him my son now I circled that because it just this this favoritism is is continued on um, to these boys as adults Um, Jacob or Isaac said Esau my son and he answered here I am then he said behold now I am old I do not know the day of my death. So he's gotten to a place. He's 137 years old right here. Um, and, uh, and he's assuming that he's about to die. He's probably a little bit of a hypochondriac, right? Um, and uh, his assumption is that death is imminent. It's at the door. Um, and you might say, why? Well, he's 137 years old. His um, half-brother Ishmael died when he was 137 years old. And we, we studied that on Wednesday a, a few weeks ago. And so maybe it was because of the same birthday that came around that, you know, my brother didn't live past this. And he's thinking about death. Well, here's the odd thing. Isaac will live 43 years after chapter 27. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And, and yet he lives over four more decades after this. A little bit of a hypochondriac. Look at verse 3. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, real quick, you remember last week that Esau had come in from hunting and he was famished. He was he was so hungry, and he smelt what his brother Jacob was cooking, that red stew, and he said, I'm telling you what, i got to have that. I'm about to die, a little bit of like dad, right? And uh, he said, I'm about to die. If I don't eat, I'm going to starve to death. And, and, and Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of stew for your birthright. And Esau said, well, well, I don't care about a birthright. What good is a birthright? What he gave, and it said that he despises birthright, what he surrendered to his brother 
um, he, he gave him the right to the inheritance. And with that, he gave him his father's blessing, the blessing of the firstborn. Uh, this is a big deal. Um, but what you're about to see is <clears throat> Isaac is, is wanting to bless Esau anyway, even though he had despised his birthright. This was his son, his favorite, and so Isaac is going to give him the blessing of the firstborn, even though that blessing should have gone with the birthright, okay? And so we see some conniving going on, um, and, uh, and, and, and even furthermore, furthermore, uh, not only did he sell his birthright, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, um, God had already prophesied over these boys and the last part of verse 23 said, the older shall serve the younger. And you remember that. God had already picked Jacob to be the one who would carry the name and, and eventually bring about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he was going to be the one anyway. Um, Jacob had heard that. Um, and so he, sold, he, he bought the birthright for a, a bowl of soup. Um, Isaac had heard what God had said about Jacob, and he's trying to give Esau back the birthright. And so you just see this, this, this web of who is going to be the favored one of dad and ultimately the favored one of God who's going to bring um, about the, the rest, the spiritual leader, the patriarch, who's going to continue being the patriarch of the family. And so, um, <clears throat> so Isaac says, look, go kill me something, make me food. And I'll, I'll give you the blessing. And so verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. So what is she? Well, she's nosy, right? She had a cup against the door while he's talking. She's eavesdropping. They're not talking with each other. And so she's wanting in. She wants to know what this whole meeting's about. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it. And so Rebekah spoke to Jacob. Her son. Isn't that crazy? So this is your son. This is my son. And this, goes, this, this even happens in our house sometimes, right? Um, you get, you, your son uh, does something, and you get home with him, and what do you tell your husband? You're not going to believe what your son did today at school, right? He ain't your son anymore. He's your son, right? He's not mine. He's yours. He does. He acts stupid. He's yours, right? So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, this is verse 6, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. Now, she didn't send him off hunting. She knew he wasn't going to go. But he went to the flock and I got an idea. She, he brought him back alive, and Mama probably had to kill him, all right? But that's not in there. I'm just guessing. I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves, and you shall take it to your father that he might, may eat it and, uh, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said, you let the curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and he got them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother made 
savory food such as his father loved. And Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house. And she put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids, of the goats, on his hands. So she skinned the goats and took the hide and tied them to the backs of his hands and on the smooth palm. This is weird, right? So, look, he's not, not hairy. He's beastly, all right? So if, if you, you've got a blind dad and, and, and you're thinking, the only way that I can fool him to think that I'm my hairy brother is to tie goat hair on me, your brother is more of an animal than a man, right? I mean, this, this, is, this, is, some, this is a hairy dude. And so, uh, so this is what they did. They, they put, they put the, the hair of the goat on the backs of his hands and on the, backs of his ne- on the back of his neck. And, um, and so in verse 17, it says, She gave the savory food to him and the bread in which he had, she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. That's the first lie. I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he's like, you're not going to believe this, Dad. And I, when I left you, I walked outside, and God brought this animal, this deer, to the back porch. And I just shot him in the back porch. God knew how much you wanted it, and he provided it for me. He blames God for his lie. Look at verse 20. How'd you get it so quickly? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, you got the voice of Jacob, but the hands, those are the hands of the goat man, right? That's the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So so he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He gave him one more chance. You see, it it didn't add up. The old man who was blind, it, it sounds like Jacob, but it feels like Esau... And in his mind, he's still questioning, and he gives Jacob one more opportunity. He said, is this really Esau? And what does Jacob say? It's me. It's really me. I'm Esau. I am. He said, bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near him, and he ate, and he brought him wine And he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. Boy, this sounds a lot like Judas, doesn't it? And he smelled the smell of his clothing. He feels like Esau. He undoubtedly hunts like Esau. He smells like Esau, he's got to be Esau. And so he said this to him, he blessed him. 
Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and, the, and plenty of grain and wine. And look at the verse 29. It says, Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from from his hunting. He also had made savory food. Now watch the same kitchen. And what you think about this? Esau must have walked in and it, it smells like somebody just cooked in here. Mom, have you been cooking? No, I don't know what that is. That's crazy. I don't know. What were all these pots in the sink for? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. You know. That must be from last night or whatever. He cooks in the kitchen, gets this whole thing ready, and there's questions got to be in his mind as he brings this meal into his father. It says that he had made savory food and he brought it to his father and he said this to his father, let my father arise and eat of your son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I'm I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. I've blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. I want you to, verse 34, this this is where the story gets so sad. This alpha male, this tough, outdoorsy, warrior, hunter said that when Esau heard the words of his father he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry have you ever ever been in a room where the alpha male has just been broken I I have I've been in homes um At the moment of death, and, and I have witnessed some of the strongest men break, and the wail and the cry from men whose hearts are broken. I'm talking about alpha guys, alpha males. It's a sound that you don't forget. And, and here in this room is Esau, and he is broken. And in the room next door is Rebecca and Jacob, and they can hear the wailing. Can you imagine how that echoes through their home? Listen to what he said to his father. Bless me, me also, oh, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has supplanted me these two times. What other times is he talking about? 
when he sold his birthright. Is that Jacob's fault? No, it's really Esau's fault, but he blamed Jacob for it. And so he's saying he, he's done this twice. He took, he took away my birthright, and he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and with wine, I, I have given him your inheritance, everything, the fields, the vineyards. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing? Listen to what he, he said. I, I gave him everything. I've already given him everything that I have. I've, I've spoken prophecy over him. He said, bless me, me also. Oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. You're going to fight most of your life just to live. You shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. There'll be a time that you'll be out from under him, but the majority of your life, the rest of your life, you'll serve him. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. He said, I'm not going to kill him while daddy's still alive because I would do nothing to break dad's heart. But as soon as dad dies when the funeral's over, I'm going to kill Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. The only way that he can find comfort is knowing that one day he's going to take your life. So she says, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to your bro my brother Laban in Haran. You remember Laban? You got this written down, right? He's the used camel dealer. He's the guy. He's the shyster. And Rebecca says, go to your uncle's house in Haran and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. How long is that going to take? Or, or until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets. How long is it going to take for him to forget? He'll never forget. And then I'll send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebecca went into Isaac, and this is the only time they talked. She did all the talking. She said, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. We live in this place where we're surrounded by unbelievers. If Jacob is to take a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him, and he charged him, and he said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Cain, and do like I did. Go to your family's land, back to your mom's people. Arise and go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethul, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of people and give you a blessing of Abraham and to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So 
Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And so Rebekah thinks, if I can get him to Laban, and then Esau will forget, then I'll call for him and bring him home. I want you to catch this. 20 years he was with Laban. And Rebekah, that was the last time his mother ever saw him. Because Rebekah died before Jacob ever came back home. And so this whole story is filled with sadness. But really what it is, it's a, it's, a, it's a young couple who made a commitment to Christ. But over the course of their life and family, raising boys, they slowly faded away from that commitment. And, and what we see here in this story in chapter 27 is, is the sad picture of what a lot of families look like when they slowly fade away from their commitment to Jesus. And so what, what I want us to do in the, in the remaining uh, few minutes, I, I want us to look at um, all four of these people and I want to identify them. Now, three of them in this family are, are followers of God. Um, Esau is not a follower of God. There's never been uh, any indication. In fact, we're going to read a passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that, that really says he's a pagan, that, uh, that, he, that he never followed God in his life. He was profane uh, even. But, but, but Isaac and Rebekah are followers of God, but there's a season in their life where they either backslid in that commitment or they compromise that commitment. And I want you to see something because they remind us of our own life. So, so Isaac is a picture to us. Dad is a picture to us of a backslidden believer. So someone who in their life decided to stop or decided to go backwards, to sin um, and not take up a responsibility. And in fact, we see this in Isaac's life. He should have been the spiritual leader of his home and he's not. He should have acted like a man, and he's not. Instead, he's backslidden. Instead, he has turned his back on his commitment to God, and, and he's at a point of his life where he feels like the next person he's going to stand before is God himself. He really thinks he's about to die. He thinks he's on his deathbed. He has just ordered his last meal. And I want you to think about that. In that, he's facing death and he's willing to not finish well. He's willing to, to fill his belly and to bless the one that he knows God hasn't picked to be the one. He, know, he knows that the older will serve the younger. God said that before they were born. And he is going to step outside of God's will. And he's making a willful decision to, to not finish well in his life. He thinks he's going to eat this meal and die and stand before God. And he is okay with not finishing well. That's so sad. Because it started out really good. But he's willing to end like that. He's disregarding the will of God for his own will. To bless his son. So that Esau would have the inheritance. So that Esau would carry the name. So that Esau would be the patriarch. And so that the Messiah would come. 
eventually through him. But mom, my mom, Rebecca, she, she should have been honoring her husband. Now, and I, I know that it may be difficult because Isaac is not being very honorable right now. And some of you ladies, you, you may be in here and, and, and you're, you're married and your husband is, is not leading well. Maybe, maybe he's like Isaac and he's he shucked that responsibility. He's not the spiritual leader. Maybe you come to church on your own by yourself and he's not the spiritual leader and you hear these passages about wives honor your husbands. Well, you might say, well, I don't have to honor him because he's not honorable, but I want you to see this as a biblical principle. The more you honor him, the more honorable he'll become. God has instituted this relationship of marriage and he has put you together in such a way that that if, if he will lead and be honorable and you honor him, great. But if he won't lead and he's dishonorable, when you honor him, he will become more honorable. He may not be able to lace up his shoes, but when you brag about him and you encourage him and, and, and you talk to the kids about how, how incredible dad is, guess what? He becomes honorable. It is shown in Scripture. Proverbs 31 is one of those places. And Proverbs is, 31 is written by Solomon. King Solomon, he uses the pen name King Lemuel, but he writes the 31st uh, Proverbs about the virtuous wife, the virtuous woman. He had a lot of wives, Solomon did. He never had one that was virtuous. The only virtuous wife he ever seen in his life was the one that he was born to, his mother. And he wrote Proverbs 31 it really as a Mother's Day card to his mom. His mom, oddly enough, didn't start well. His mom was Bathsheba. His mom started off with an adulterous affair with his father, David. And all of Proverbs 31, and starting in verse 10, when it goes down and describes all of the qualities of the virtuous woman, um, it, it, it talks about her, her, her. She did this, she did this, she did this. Well, right in the middle of it, it says something about her husband. It says that he's praised at the gate, the city gates, as an elder in the land. And, and, and what's crazy is... He's not saying she does this, she does this, she does this, and oh, by the way, he's really cool too, and then finishes up with she does this, she does this, she does this. No, he gives the credit for him being honorable to his wife. The seat at the city gate, that was a place of honor in the city. That was the folks who looked up to. These were the men, the elders of the city, and he had a seat there. And, and, but watch this. He wasn't honored in the city, but the more she honored him at home, the more honorable he became outside the home. And the more she honored him around the children, the more people honored him because David had lost his honor. And Bathsheba continued to honor him when he wasn't honorable. And and we see a biblical principle. But watch this, Rebecca, she, she didn't honor him. Instead, she was dishonoring him in this story. Rebecca is a picture of a believer that has compromised in her walk with the Lord. She's deceiving him. She's eavesdropping, she's meal prepping, she's working a wardrobe, picking clothes in Esau's own closet to put on her son Jacob. She she is knitting together uh, goat hair to wear to deceive, to deceive her own husband that she's dishonoring. 
tell you, it, it really, this, this is probably the most horrible thought is, is that this is, she's, this is elder abuse. This is a man that's 137 years old and he's blind. And she's making decisions to abuse this man in this state, her husband, to get him to make a decision against his own will. Listen, this happens in families all the time. Dad, dad gets old, dad gets feeble, dad, um, can we change the will? Can we make some things happen? Can we get this rearranged where it leans more toward me? This is classic elder abuse. Why? Because she remembers what God said. God said the older will serve the younger. And she's wanting to do everything she can to keep God's will. Now watch this. Her mind, in her mind, the ends will justify the means. And so it doesn't matter how to get to God's will, even if I have to dishonor him, even if I have to deceive him, because God has already picked my son Jacob to be the patriarch, the one who will take the baton, the one who will lead the family, the one who will get all the inheritance. And so the ends are justifying the means to her, and she's compromising. She's a believer that's compromised. Listen, some of you in here, you, you, you may not be as close to God as you started out. You, you may be backslidden as a believer. Some of you, the convictions that you had early on in your walk with Jesus, you've compromised those. Maybe you can identify with Rebecca. Maybe in here, you, there's some folks like Jacob. J- Jacob represents to us an immature believer. He is very easily influenced by others. His mom brings him in, and this is somebody that he trusts, and she brings him in, and she said, here's the plan. Um, and, and he's leery about it. He said, well, listen, what, what if this doesn't work? And he curses me and says, blesses me, and she said, I'll take the curse. You just listen to me. You just follow me. Then, then when he's about to get caught, he does a classic line that most immature believers will do. He blames God. Verse 20, he said, listen, how did you find this animal so quickly? God just brought it to me. I have talked to individuals who said, do you know what? When I prayed, if God wanted me to end my marriage and divorce, if God wanted me to marry this lady instead of stay married to this lady, God gave me a peace. God told me to leave. God, listen, you can blame your sin on God. That's what Jacob's doing. He's an immature believer. He's more interested in pleasing people, pleasing his mom, than he is with pleasing his God. And watch this. As the story just continues to go and go and go, he continues to cover it rather than coming clean. He is a picture of a believer that has never matured in their relationship with Jesus. And and just be honest, unfortunately, there are a lot of Jacobs in churches today. They, they don't plow deep. They don't dig deep into God's word. They're very emotional. They're influenced by people um, rather than following the word of God and the will of God. But Esau, Esau's not a picture of a believer. In fact, what I wrote beside Esau is Esau is a picture of a lost church member. You say, there's no churches? No, but, but his house was. I mean, mom and dad had a faith, and 
And Abraham, the grandpa, always built altars and, and made the house the church. And there was no temple at this time. There was no, there was no uh, public worship of God. It was supposed to be done privately. And he lived in a house with Christian parents and a Christian brother. And yet Esau despised the things of God. And, and he's a picture of a lost church member. He knows about God because he's heard mom and dad and brother talk about God. But he's been more interested in the physical things. I'm just going to go hunt. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to do what makes me happy. He identifies with believers, but he's not one. He has no evidence in his life of any salvation. In fact, one evidence that Christ does not live in him and God has not redeemed him, he neglects any thought of reconciling with his brother. In fact, he seeks revenge rather than reconciliation. Now, that's a sure sign that Christ doesn't live inside of you. Someone hurts you, so someone does you wrong, rather than forgiving them, rather than walking down that difficult path of offering forgiveness and reconciling a relationship. Now, it may never be what it used to be, but, but rather than, than walking down the difficult path of, of forgiving somebody, you, you, you plan and plot your revenge for them. In fact, it it brought him pleasure. The thought of his brother's pain brought him pleasure. It's it's, it's how he coped with losing his father's blessing. The thing that, that put him to sleep at night and rocked him to sleep at night is that when daddy finally dies, I'll kill Jacob, and that will make me happy. If your thought of someone else's pain brings you pleasure, you're in a dark place. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. If you thinking about them hurting and suffering and being in pain, if that brings you pleasure, I I would dare say that Christ doesn't dwell in your heart. Pastor, you don't know how they've hurt me. I know this. Christ, if he lives in you, he has forgiven you of everything that you've ever done. And he's made you a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It says in this that he experienced great remorse when he lost his blessing. And said it twice that he wailed and wept bitterly. He cried. He had a moment, an emotional moment in his life where he was broken. Many of us, we might go to an event or an emotional moment in our life where we were broken. We said, that's when, that's when God saved me. It was emotional. There were tears. It had to have been because there were tears, right? And we try to identify salvation and spiritual things with emotional events that take place in our life. But I want you to look at something real quick because I'm running out of time. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. You just listen to me. They'll put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which one 
with which no one will see the Lord, without which no one will see the Lord, holiness, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. (laughs) You know what he just said? He was broken and remorseful for what he lost, but there was no evidence of repentance. Church, I I believe this. I believe there are people that come here Sunday after Sunday that have had an emotional experience in their life where they were broken over something, but they never repented over their sin. And just like Esau, there's been no evidence of Redemption, there's been no evidence of repentance. There's been no evidence. Now I realize in this story it's hard to find a lot of evidence in any of them. I know this. As Christians, there can be times in our life where we're on fire for God and then they can be followed by seasons of backsliding, followed by seasons of compromise. And we can be identified as immature in our faith and our walk with Christ, never really developing the spiritual depth in our relationship with him. Listen, if that's any of you this morning, this can be a great time to refocus and recommit your life to Jesus. If, 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 you're, if, you're, if you identify as an immature believer, one, that, one whose faith is not really deep, one who may have been saved in a relationship with Christ for a long time, Four decades even. But yet your prayer life is weak. You really don't know a whole lot of scripture. You haven't plowed deep in these years of knowing Jesus. Listen, why not make today one of those moments, a watershed moment, a a time in your life where you say, hey, listen, from now on, I'm going to go all in in my relationship with Christ. From now on, I'm going to plow deep in my relationship with him. Maybe you're backslidden and you've compromised and you're, you, you, you're not who you used to be or you're not loving him like you used to. Maybe this is a moment where you come back like the prodigal. The prodigal wandered off, but the prodigal was always the son of the father. He wasn't disowned by the father. It was his choice to leave. And when he came back, the father greeted him and, and welcomed him back home. Listen, maybe you're like the prodigal and you've wandered off. Listen, it's time to come home. Today can be the time where you you bring your life back to him. Maybe you're like Esau. And maybe you're like him. and, And there's been a moment, an experience that was emotional. But no fruit. No repentance. You're still doing the things you've always done. You're still living the life you'd always lived. And the only thing that's changed is what you do at this hour on, on one day a week. 
But there's really no thought of God the rest of your life. Listen, today can be that moment when you surrender your life to King Jesus. Repent of your sins and walk with him in your life. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're here today and you want to join First Baptist Halton. Listen, our pastors are going to be here. Whatever you, God's leading you to do, you just want to come here and pray. You feel more than welcome to respond any way God's leading you. Let's pray together and we'll stand together and have our time of invitation. God, thank you for your word. God, it's so clear. God, it, it, it really is as fresh and as new as if it were written today because this story can be retold over and over and over again in, in, in pews throughout this building. God, where we start out well, but we fizzle. We fade. Our faith just slowly fades. God, I pray that you would ignite that. I pray, Father, that you would use this day, this moment, this story, your word, just to draw us. God, I, I pray, Father, today would be, be one of those moments. It's just a refocusing and maybe even a revival in our own heart. But God, for someone in here, there's, there's folks in here who have never trusted you. They're a good church member. God, they're lost. I pray today, Lord, that you would draw them to Jesus. We give you this time. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church.